great to see you, Purpose Church, and happy December and the beginning of the Christmas season. It's all decorated in here in the worship center. It looks absolutely gorgeous. And this is how it looked a year ago. This is what it looked like a year ago. And to see how gorgeous it is for Christmas today is just, I praise God and, and thank you for all your giving to make the renovations within the worship center possible. Uh, my pastor friends tease me about how crazy it was uh, to uh, do a, a capital campaign during the pandemic. And I tell them, you don't know about the people of Purpose church. They can handle anything. And so I just praise God for you guys. You're just absolutely amazing. You know, two Sundays ago, I was in Indiana preaching at Mercy Road Church in Indianapolis and just got a chance to see the fruits of your uh, spiritual and financial investment uh, down through the years in the state of Indiana. Uh, Twelve years ago, Josh and Lisa Hoosman uh, left our church where Josh had been our junior high pastor, and then he was our young adult pastor. And and then he, he felt led by God, and we supported him, uh, prayed over him, sent him off, helped him financially, and he launched Mercy Road Church in Carmel, Indiana. And Mercy Road has been recognized nationally as one of the top multiplying churches in all of the United States. They've uh, now grown to five campuses. Here's their northwest location. You saw the Carmel one. And now this is the north one right by the main thoroughfare there in Indianapolis. Then here's their downtown uh, location. And then more in the rural area, the northeast location is more in a, in a, in a farming car, uh, area. And now they're starting Anderson, Indiana. Uh, the location there is under construction, and that's going to be opening soon. Uh, Josh is also the leader of an organization called Multiply Indiana, which has planted 26 churches across Indiana so far. And Mercy Road has also planted a church in Montreal that's still going strong after 11 years doing, doing well in Montreal, uh, Canada. And, and that all came from you, uh, sending them out, supporting them, encouraging them, and uh, financially supporting that as well. And then meanwhile, closer to home, here are some pictures of baptisms from last Sunday at one of our three microsites. We have microsites in the north, uh, in the south of Pomona, the north of Pomona, the south, and the west here in the city of Pomona. And here are some baptisms going on. Also on Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we had all the microsites gather uh, for a Thanksgiving dinner in the gym here on our campus. And great story, they thought about 120 people were gonna come, and instead, 280 showed up. They planned for 120, instead 280 showed up, and somehow, God multiplied the food. They were saying it was almost miraculous how God just multiplied the food uh, to feed all of them, and they had some left over. That sounds like a story in the Bible, doesn't it? And all of this is made possible, this and a hundred other examples, all this is made possible because of your faithfulness. And you know, I really hope uh, that you're going to pray about your end of the year giving 
Um, we need a good, strong December, end of the year giving. If we can finish strong and finish in the black, uh, heading into the new year, I'll just tell you, we've had a good year, but we need a great December in order to finish well. And I just ask you to pray about that as I know Kimberly and I will be praying about that as well, about what our end of the year, what the Lord would have us to do with our end of the year giving. And then here in our Purpose Church campus, I just received our attendance report from our Director of Operations, Tim McCandless, and over the past three months, we are up 26% from a year ago, up 26% from just a year ago, three months to three months, comparing September, October, November of 2021 to September, October, November of 2022. And so God has just been blessing incredibly in the past and in the present. And here's my challenge for the future. Uh, from now until the middle of February is considered by researchers to be the best time of the year for inviting your friends to meet Jesus, especially this next weekend. You know, some churches have Christmas concerts and a few churches have Christmas reenactments uh, like Journey to Bethlehem, but we're that unique, crazy church that does both of them, both a concert and a reenactment, and we do it on the same weekend. And it takes, as I say many times, hundreds of volunteers to reach thousands of people. Uh, the response has been fantastic so far. I'm so grateful for you, but our greatest remaining need is what we call red shirt greeters for the concerts, for the four concerts, Christmas concerts, that are gonna happen uh, next weekend. And we have the yellow shirts on a normal Sunday, but on the holidays, the Christmas holidays, we have the red shirts uh, to greet people coming uh, to these uh, concerts. And so if you could help with that, would could you go to purposechurch.com slash Christmas? and sign up because we need you. There again, we need hundreds of volunteers in order to reach thousands of people this Christmas season. Now we do all of this so that you will have the maximum number of opportunities to invite your family and your friends to connect with Jesus. And so this coming weekend, we have concerts at 4 p.m. on Sunday and then 9 and 11 um, where our regular morning worship services are. Instead, we will have the Christmas concert this coming Sunday, uh, a week from Sunday, a week from today at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and then again at 4 o'clock. And then Journey to Bethlehem is gonna be after the two 4 p.m. performances, Saturday and Sunday, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. So two Journey to Bethlehem's four uh, Christmas concerts give you every opportunity you can uh, to invite your family and friends to connect with Jesus. And as always, I make you the promise that if you get them here, I will share Jesus with them uh, next weekend at one of those uh, concerts or, of course, the experience of Journey to Bethlehem. Um, so let's seize the moment to see everyone everywhere uh, following Jesus. The title of today's message is The Christmas Mamzer. Now that's not, that's not a typo right there. You might think, you mean Christmas manger. No, I mean Christmas Mamzer. Uh, the anticipation of every Israelite starting in 2000 BC uh, with uh, a promise to Abraham. And so there was this anticipation uh, that every Israelite had from 2000 BC, and it started with this promise to Abraham. Uh, God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is going to bless all people on the earth. Uh, God is going to do this through a Messiah. And so he's going to do this through a Messiah. So every time a woman in Israel gave birth, she knew that the child had the potential to be the Messiah and all the pain of childbirth. Uh, she knew that the, there was the potential there that her child could be the Messiah. In 700 BC, Isaiah gave one of the hundreds of prophecies that would be fulfilled in Jesus. He said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, which were in the Sea of Galilee area. But they were in distress and they had been humbled. The region around the Sea of Galilee at the time that Isaiah wrote this had just been devastated by King Tiglath-Pileser III of the Assyrians. And he came in and devastated this area with his army in 734 BC and then again two years later in 732 BC. So God gives them this promise. He says in the second half of the verse, but in the future, you that have been devastated, you that are in distress, but in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, the way of the sea was the road from Damascus in Syria in the north to Egypt in the south through the Galilee region. And as a result of this prophecy, uh, Galilee became a hotbed of Messiah fever and anticipation. Have you ever driven into a small town and you've seen the sign, home of, and sometimes it'll be if that town won the uh, high school football championship in a certain year, the basketball championship, uh, but sometimes you'll see home of, and you'll see the name of the most famous person who came from that town. Uh, the most famous person from my hometown, Prince George, Virginia, was Larry Brooks, who played football uh, for the Rams. The most famous person, there's actually a couple of them, from Pomona was, first of all, Mark McGuire, who played baseball for the Cardinals, and also the actress Jessica Alba. Now, it's interesting that um, uh, Jessica Alba and Mark McGuire are claimed by Pomona, where they were born, but they're also claimed uh, by uh, Claremont as well. So they have a battle as to who has rights to their most famous person. Uh, you could see that in any of the hometowns. You can go on Google and just kind of uh, go online and, and see, you know, which, who is the most famous person from your hometown. Most famous person from Ontario was Landon Donovan, who played soccer uh, for the LA Galaxy. But the ultimate prize would have been for a town in Galilee to be able to say, hometown of the Messiah. If you were driving into one of those towns in Galilee, that would be the ultimate. Another prophecy from Isaiah. He says, a shoot, that is a new green um, a plant, will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's the line of David. Jesse was David, King David's father. Uh, the line of the Messiah. A shoot will come up from his roots. A branch will bear fruit. So there's this one small town in the Galilee region who dreamed of producing the Messiah. And they took this verse with its word shoot. And they basically called themselves Shootville. 
Now, shoot is the English translation of the Hebrew word netzer. And so the, to call themselves shootville would be netzer et, or in English, Nazareth. Nazareth. Does that ring a bell? Shootville or Messiah Town or Savior Wood. Um, this was the town of Nazareth that named themselves after this prophecy, saying, we're hoping that the shoot, we're hoping that the Messiah will come from us. In that region, Judas of Gamala uh, led a rebellion against Rome in 6 AD by taking over a Roman garrison. Uh, the Romans captured Judas and 2,000 of his followers and impaled all 2,000 of them on execution sticks, impaled them on a pole. And so after their bodies had decomposed or the birds had picked away, there were these 2,000 poles with 2,000 skeletons on them. And basically, it was a message sent by the Romans to the Jewish people. This is what happens if you claim to be the Messiah. This all happened about three miles away from Jesus' hometown in Nazareth when he was about six years old. And, and so it means that as a young man, as a young boy, Jesus most likely could have walked by these 2,000 skeletons with the message drilled into the populace, this is what happens if you claim to be the Messiah. And, and as a result of this hope of the Messiah, there was a prohibition. And the prohibition for every young Jewish person was to never have sex outside of marriage and never marry someone outside of the Jewish faith if you want to have a chance of giving birth to the Messiah. If you want to have the hope that your child, your offspring, could be the Messiah, don't have sex outside of marriage, wait until marriage, and never marry someone outside of the Jewish faith. Identity and bloodline were huge for people at this time. So if you waited until marriage, uh, until you had sexual relations, and if you only married a nice Jewish boy or a nice Jewish girl, you could have the hope that maybe you were the one that would produce the Messiah. But there was tremendous temptation to compromise, as there obviously is today as well, uh, for one of these uh, nice Jewish kids to marry Harry the Hittite or Kathy the Canaanite, who would lead you to worship Pan, uh, the goat god, same thing is true for young adults today that are, are tempted to, if they're followers of Jesus, to marry somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. And they say, boy, you know, he or she is really cute. They're really nice. They're, they're a very good person. But let me just urge you as your pastor, wait until you find somebody that is not just a follower of Jesus like you, but equally passionate. Find somebody who's just as passionate for following Jesus as you are. But then back to the Jewish uh, young people at this time. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 said, No one born of a forbidden marriage, that is a marriage outside of the Jewish faith, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And so people would talk about uh, whether this thing had been obeyed for generations. And they would say, this person has a questionable background. They may not be somebody who can produce and have the hope of producing the Messiah. And this person was called a mamzer. This person who had married outside of the Jewish faith, 
this person who had had a child um, prior to being married, this person was called a mamzer. Now, we don't have an English word that's bad enough for uh, this word. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if we were Jewish, if, if this was a Hebrew congregation, this word would not have uh, passed our censors. This was something we would not have allowed to take place. It's kind of like if you ever watch British shows, and Kimberly and I, uh, we, we love to watch British shows because if they're saying bad words, we don't know it. <laughs> it goes right over our heads. And we don't, we don't feel guilty about it because we just don't know. And then we'll come to find out later that some word that they use a lot in one of our British uh, murder mysteries, that this was a bad word, but we, we didn't know it. And that's the way it is with Mamzer. I, I would never just have put it up here if this was a word that everybody knew. I mean, you think of the word uh, B-A-S-T-A-R-D, you think of that word and multiply it by five times. And that's how bad this word was. Now let's come to the first Christmas. Matthew 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And a Jewish audience, and and Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience, a Jewish audience would have read that and said, he was a mamzer. Jesus was a mamzer. And this stayed with Jesus his entire life. Jesus' enemies constantly used it against him. Even 200 years later, in 200 AD, uh, we read Roman critics of Christianity would mock Christianity and say, your founder was a mamzer. 30 years after the birth of Jesus, he begins his ministry. Mark 6, verse 2. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who had heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this... Mary's son? You see, usually, almost always, you would refer to a person by who their father was. But right here in this culture, this is an insult. This is inferring he is a mamzer. Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. John 8, verse 18, Jesus says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, where is your Father? Now, this is completely random, just kind of out of the blue. Where's your Father? I mean, Joseph was most likely dead at this time in the story. Um, And Mary was a widow, and Joseph had already passed away. But just this random question, Where's your father? Well, it's an insult. Uh, They're saying to him, who are you to teach us? You are a mamzer. Verse 41, Jesus says, you are doing the works of your own father. Uh, He's referring to Satan here. Um, You're doing the works of your own father. And out of the blue, again, very random, we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Like, out of the blue, you're just having a debate with somebody, and out of the blue, they say, where's your father? 
what, what? Uh, Out of the blue, they say, well, we're not illegitimate children. What's going on? Well, they're, they're attacking Jesus. They're insulting Jesus. You are a mamzer. And so the question is this, did God choose to live among us as a mamzer? It's one of um, so many surprises at the first Christmas. Why announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds instead of the Greek intelligentsia of Athens? Why have Jesus be born in Bethlehem instead of Rome? Why have him grow up in Nazareth instead of Jerusalem? Why such a common name like Jesus? Why, why not a more lofty name than, than Jesus? Why come as a mamzer? Well, now we're going to switch from the Hebrew word mamzer to a Greek word, which is kataluma. Kataluma. Now, kataluma in, in the English means, it can mean an inn. Okay, it can, can mean an inn where people stay, uh, pay to stay overnight. But its primary meaning is guest room or spare room. And so, so many of our Christmas carols, you know, about be the, the, the keep innkeeper and then the innkeeper's wife, and we've made this whole um, story expanded out of it. But most likely, the, the more prominent uh, Greek uh, meaning of this word, its primary meaning is not in, but it's guest room or spare room. It's mentioned three times in the New Testament. And two of the times that it's used are in the same story told uh, by Mark and by Luke. Mark 14, verse 14. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? This is before the the Lord's Supper that we shared uh, today, before uh, the Last Supper. Uh, Where is my guest room, Cataluma, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Again in Luke 22, verse 11, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the Cataluma? Where is the guest room where where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Well, now we come to the Christmas story. Luke 2, while they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no guest room available for them. No guest room available. That that kind of changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? Not no room in the inn, but nobody provided a guest room from one of their family members. Why, if one of Joseph's family in Bethlehem had a spare room, why wasn't that offered to Mary and and Joseph? Uh, Middle Eastern hospitality is legendary. Um, Years ago, I spoke at a conference in Pakistan, and was traveling with my friend, Dr. Luke Cutherell, who was the head of the hospital there, the Bach Christian Hospital in Abbottabad, um, uh, just uh, north there of Islamabad. Also Priscilla Constantine from our church uh, worked in the laboratory there of that wonderful Christian hospital. And I don't know what it is, but missionaries, when the pastor, when the American pastor visits, they, they try to shake us up a little bit. They try to scare us a little bit. Uh, they, I think they feel the need to toughen us up because we're a little soft. And so he took me on a tour of the countryside 
And there were rumors, this is before 9-11, about a man named Osama bin Laden who was in this region. And so as a result, everybody we traveled with, everybody had machine guns, Kalashnikovs, machine guns, except for Dr. Luke Cutherell and myself. And then when it came time to go to bed, they were so hospitable, took such good care of us and gave us all kinds of food and, and actually tucked us in to bed and then placed a man sitting on a stool across the doorway with a machine gun on his lap. And, and he proceeded to fall asleep with this machine gun on his lap. Well, unfortunately, I had to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. And my friend Luke just loves to tell this story. He thinks it's hilarious how I was nervous about waking this guy up. I've made it a practice in life that if somebody's sleeping with a machine gun in their hands, to, to never startle them, never, never wake them up suddenly. It's just, uh, it's a basic idea that has served me well down through the years uh, for my survival. But I just couldn't stop it. I had to get up. And so I had, Luke says he heard this little voice in the middle of the night, sir, sir, um, I need to go to the bathroom. And he knows Urdu and I know English. And so um, Luke got the biggest kick out of that. And so the guy woke up and let me by so that I could use the restroom and go back. But the, the Middle Eastern hospitality is just absolutely legendary. They took such good care of me. So now we come back to my original question. Why, if one of Joseph's family had a spare room, why was it not offered to this young pregnant couple, to Mary and Joseph. Would you really give that spare room to Uncle Levi or to Aunt Miriam instead of to a young couple expecting a baby at any moment? Why wasn't that offered? Well, because they could count to nine. They could count to nine months. And they believed that Mary was carrying a mamzer. And so that's a possible explanation as to why that typical, wonderful Middle Eastern hospitality had not been offered to them. And so there they were in a stable for the animals, their baby in a manger that was in a feeding trough for the animals. They were outsiders looking in. Outsiders looking in. Have you ever felt like an outsider looking in? Maybe it's your school, or while shopping for Christmas, it seems like everybody else has so much money to spend on their kids, and, and you don't, and you feel like an outsider looking in. Or, or when you go to eat in the cafeteria, you eat by yourself and, and not at the popular table, you feel like an outsider looking in. Maybe you're out of work, and so you look at all the people going to work, and you don't have a job right now, feel like an outsider looking in. Or you've gotten a tough diagnosis and you just look at the healthy people around you and you just wish that you were once again a part of that group of people who had their health. You feel like an outsider looking in. Within your own family, maybe you're an outsider. You feel like an outsider looking in. Christmas is God's way of saying, I know how you feel. Christmas, the Christmas story, is God's way of saying, I see you and I know 
how you feel. You know, people reject God by shaking their fist at him and saying, you don't understand. And Christmas is God saying, yes, I do. It's the most beautiful moment when you're a part of a life group of young parents and you explain a, a challenge that you're having with one of your children or a worry that you're having with one of your kids and someone says, I know exactly how you feel. What a wonderful moment that is. You're in Celebrate Recovery and, and all of a sudden somebody says, I get it. I, I get you. What a beautiful moment that, that is. Or you're in a grief group and somebody shares and you realize somebody else gets it. Or you're in divorce care and, 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 and you share and other people say, I understand what you're feeling. Those who were drawn to Jesus were those that felt like mamsers. They were the widows and the tax collectors, the lepers and the prostitutes. Today, it's those who are lonely or they feel rejected or they're ashamed of their past or their hometown won't release them to be who they are in Christ. They feel, we feel like mamsers. And Jesus said, I will come among them and take all that is painful or ugly or sinful, and I will take it with me to the cross, which is another part of the Christmas story. A Christmas is God's way of saying, I will not sit outside and watch your pain, but I will take that pain on myself. Now we look for the, Chris, the Christmas and the beautiful, and it is there in the beautiful trees that I see up here on our platform and the, and the decorations and, and the lights. Oh, you see, you look for, for Christmas and the beautiful and it is there. And it's such a wonderful, beautiful time of the year. But you know, Christmas is also in the ugly. It's also in the painful stuff like the loss of a loved one or the breakup of a relationship or the loss of a job. Christmas is there in the beautiful, but it's also in the hard stuff of life as well. Do you feel like a mamser? Or have you been mamsered by someone else? Or have you mamsered someone else? Jesus understands, and he speaks your language. Matthew 8, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. There are two parts to this miracle. The, the one is what's going to follow in, in just a moment. But the first part of it is this man had probably not been touched for years they had to shout unclean whenever they came across a group of people. Uh, nobody would touch them. Nobody wanted to touch a leper. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. In one of the ancient rabbinical, rabbinical writings before Jesus, the Talmud Sanhedrin 98a, Rabbi Yehoshua asks, how will we recognize him? How will we recognize the Messiah? Elijah replied, 
he's sitting among poor lepers, bandaging their wounds. Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes about the Messiah. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. You know, there are pictures of Jesus the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. We call these um, uh, types of Christ or pictures of Jesus uh, B.C. And and one of those uh, pictures of Jesus is David. He was called, Jesus was called the son of David. And David is a picture of the Messiah, a foreshadowing of Jesus. And it says about David in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt, or discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. Are you distressed today? Are you in debt today? Or at least we all will become January after Christmas shopping. Are we discontented? Jesus came to be our leader. Uh, He came into the world as a mamzer, so that he could understand what it feels like to feel like you're on the outside looking in. And he says, come on in to my forever family. I want you to belong. I want you to belong to me, and I want you to belong to my family. Uh, He invites you right now, and I want to give you a chance to receive his invitation. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And I invite you to pray three words, sorry, thank you, or thanks, and please. First of all, Jesus, I am sorry for that which is um, unclean, ugly, sinful in my life. I have not loved people as I should love them. I have mamsered other people sometimes. I've not treated them with love and dignity and with respect I have not lived up to your standards. I am sorry. But thank you that you came into the world, died on a cross, and rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven and a part of your family. Please come into my heart. Come into my life right now and be my Savior. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. And from this point forward, would you be my commander? Would you be my leader? Would you be my king? Would you be my Lord? Sorry. Thank you. Please. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And wherever you are, uh, seated next to your computer, in your car, in your living room, would you, if you agree with that prayer, would you say out loud, amen. Say that with me. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's close with this. 
We walk through the Christmas season steeped in happiness. Under warm, glowing lights, gifts wrapped and labeled, pies and cookies prepared. But if we peer through all the extravaganza, we'll hear the soft cry of a shivering baby and feel the prick of divine joy. Our homes and streets are lit with ornaments of the season, but Jesus came to light up our souls. We long for joy every single day of the year, the kind of joy that still lingers when there's no light, when the gifts from the world have stopped and the music just sounds like noise. God gave us an unexpected joy that fills empty spaces and is easy to find if we're willing to look. It's a joy that crosses boundaries and breaks down walls, that finds the lonely on hilltops and the curious in faraway lands. It delights in arriving into unexpected places and circumstances, like a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. Let me, Lord, spread that kind of joy to the world. Amen.